You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome into a late night, Tuesday night edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. I have a cold and Josh has a new job. Josh, how's it going? Gavin, about two seconds before we started this podcast, uh, I was just browsing Twitter as normal and I came across a picture of Ennis Cantor in a chef's hat. <laughs> and it really suits him well, so I'm going to retweet that out later from the Locked On Nets account um, to give you all some context. Yeah, I, I, had a, I have a friend uh, who's staying in the city who was just uh, eating at a restaurant and saw Enos Cantor and uh, Knicks rookie Damian Dotson just uh, walking around on the street. Did he recognize Damian Dotson, or he kind of used tr- uh, a, process of elimination? It was a girl, but uh, she, okay. she knows her basketball, but... Uh, maybe process of elimination. <laughs> not not well, Chris Tops. Anyone I know or uh, no, a girl from my school. But uh, yeah, I just saw it on Twitter. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's exciting. The Knicks are uh, getting along just fine, and the Nets coming off arguably their best loss of the season. I, maybe I shouldn't be saying that with with oh so much uh, enthusiasm, but uh, 118, 111 uh, Warriors win, and uh, they looked. Pretty spectacular in the second half. They were down 28 at one point, cut it all the way down to, I, I believe it was five in the closing minutes, four or five, and um, and then they just they couldn't finish it off because Clay Thompson hit a uh, contested two and then a contested three. Crab came back with back-to-back threes, and then they had the possession down by four where they got essentially three shots at it. Um, Dinwiddie had a really nice drive, kicked it out to Quincy Acey, who continues to not shoot the ball very well. He was wide, wide open for a three. Uh, left it short. Alan Crabb came in and got a rebound. He was like maybe the last guy I'd expect to do that, so I was certainly impressed, and he continued a really good game. And he kind of thought about going up for the putback for the second, but for a second, but then I believe it was Draymond Green who uh, got his hand on it, and uh, then he kicks it out. Dinwiddie fires a deep three, doesn't go in. Yeah, the Nets just didn't have enough juice to kind of complete that comeback, even with Kevin Durant not playing and Stephen Curry fouling out with a few minutes left. It just wasn't, there was too much of a, a lead to kind of chip away at from the start of the half. Um, but again, as you mentioned, great effort. Guys like Crab, Levert, RHJ, who I thought had a terrible start but really rebounded nicely. Um, and then obviously Carol and Dinwiddie, two of the most consistent players of the team, of the, on the team, really leading that charge. Um, I, I'm not even going to get into AC because he frustrates me so much. He's shooting 33% from the field now. Um, I just can't wait till Allen just takes all of his minutes and he doesn't play anymore. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. Um, we we could start off talking about Jared Allen because he was really good, but let's let's kind of get into uh, the other guys you mentioned who did really really well. So this, uh, if not Allen Crabb's best game of the season, it was very very close. He he did what you expect him to do well, shooting six for eleven on threes, and, and the last two really high pressure shots, as we mentioned in, in the final minute, uh, both like. Absolutely essential to keeping the Nets' hopes alive in this game, and he just nailed both of them. So that that showed you a little bit of a backbone and a little bit of a willingness to be involved in key moments, uh, combined with that rebound, which I think in some ways is even more impressive because that's not what he's comfortable doing, coming in, crashing, getting uh, what could have been if Dinwiddie hit one more shot, uh, the biggest rebound of the game. So that really, really impressed me. And then he, he was mixing in a couple of other things, like, there was a play where the shot clock was winding down. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson had it um, on like the left block, and, and he wasn't going anywhere. 
And then Crab, who's like the only net who realized what was happening, flashed to the basket, got an easy layup. And it, it just plays like that. And that type of awareness that that I think Joe Harris has been doing all year and he's been making those types of plays all year. And, and Crab, a guy who, as we've said, is kind of in the same mold with a higher ceiling. Once he starts making those little plays on top of his shooting, that's when he becomes a really valuable rotation guy. And uh, Sunday night was a definite step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I've been a huge crab detractor kind of the whole season, um, especially criticizing his basketball instincts, but he really has put together a string of nice games, and it is encouraging to see. There was one play um, where he caught the ball at the three-point line and took a few dribbles in, and you expect him to kind of take that pull-up, but he really got all the way to the basket for a layup, and that's a good sign to see because he has such an advantage um, because teams are helping so much on his three-pointers that it really opens up the lane um, and if he can be more aggressive trying to get to the basket and finish, good things are going to happen. And it'll also open up um, opportunities for him to kick out and find open shooters and give some of the Nets guys better looks from three-point range, especially the point guards like Spencer Dinwiddie. And when he comes back, D'Angelo Russell, giving them more spot-up opportunities and taking some of the pressure off of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of D'Lo, I think his absence was pretty glaring in that first half not to even... I, I probably shouldn't mention Jeremy Lin's, but uh, it, it, it was pretty horrific, especially when Dinwiddie was off the floor, and he was off the floor for most of the first half. He picked up two uh, quick fouls. I believe they were in the first seven or eight minutes of the game and then came back in early in the second quarter and immediately picked up a third foul and had to go right back out. And, and the Nets just couldn't get anything going on offense uh, without Dinwiddie um, in the game. They, they ended up scoring... 42 points in the first half, and then they match that with 42 points in the third quarter. So that's a pretty good indicator of just how big of a difference Spencer Dinwiddie makes. And again, as you pointed out to me before the podcast started, it's not just obviously Spencer Dinwiddie. It's it's a drop-off when he's your third point guard, and then who's the fourth guy to come in there? You don't really have anyone. Sean Kilpatrick playing seven minutes, going one of seven from the floor. Joe Harris, who I thought made some really good reads passing the basketball and just didn't get rewarded. Yeah, These guys were missing shots, but when he's relied on to create offense, he's not at his best. He went one for eight from the field, all of them actually from behind the arc, so he couldn't even really do anything attacking the basket other than drawing um, one foul going to the rim. So you, you start relying on those guys to do a lot, and Harris is really good in his role as a spot of three-point shooter. Kilpatrick is uh, kind of decent at his role as a, no, as a microwave. I mean, they can't even say that. No, I, wasn't, I didn't have a straight face. You couldn't see me. But, um, yeah. and, and can't see yeah, me like I'm, John I'm just saying, yeah, so in Kilpatrick's case, not even good in the role he's he was in. Harris, good at the role he's in. But then you ask those guys to step up to an unreasonable degree, and you could argue with what they're already doing, they were stepping up. Things are going to break, especially against the Golden State Warriors, and, and things broke in that first half. And frankly... That, that kind of ruined the Nets' chance to win this game because if you just look at how they played in the second half, they would have been right right in it if not for those two. Yeah. Um, well, I'm surprised that the team shot 36% um, as a whole. That's pretty terrible. But yeah, Kilpatrick and Harris combined to go 2 of 15 from the field. Harris had an off-shooting night, but he really does always make the correct read um, whether to pass or shoot. I think that's an important skill to have to keep the offense moving. Um, Kilpatrick was... He's been decent for the Nets the last two seasons. I, it's inexplicable to me that he's suddenly lost all of his skills, uh, shooting 22% from the field. Um, and close your, close your, um, close your eyes as I read this, or I guess close your ears. Yeah, that's not going to do possible. anything for them. Yeah, a 12% on threes. Yeah. Oh wow. 
I, I I tried to close my ears, but I couldn't I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not great. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't really have like a working working theory on. It. I mean, you could argue like he was just he's kind of cold at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season just because he's not. I guess it's hard. For he used him. to play. Yeah, he yeah. always is used to playing consistently, but yeah. um, now his minutes are really sporadic. But you can't be this bad. Like if you're if you continue to play this badly, you're never going to get consistent minutes. So it's really a catch twenty two. I don't know what's best for his situation moving forward. Maybe a new a new team at this point because he doesn't seem like he's in the Nets' plans or really in Kenny Atkinson's good graces whatsoever. No. Um, yeah, and he's he's really only playing out of necessity, but they might. Have to keep him out of necessity, but he's just, I mean, he only played seven minutes, and you just, you need guys to soak up those minutes, and you could argue, like, maybe you bump Spencer Dinwiddie up a little bit. He played 31 minutes this game, even with the foul trouble, a lot of them coming in the second half. Maybe he plays 35, 36, 37. Maybe Karis LeVert is going from 24 minutes a night to 30 minutes a night. But again, you're asking a lot out of these guys that have never, ever done it before, because, um, I mean, in Dinwiddie's case, he was never this big of a part of a rotation. And Colorado? Was, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe they're, Shots. Maybe, maybe they're top guy. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, so, you know, it's only a 40-minute game. So even, even there, he probably wasn't playing quite that much. Um, and Karis LeVert, uh, a guy who's played with Kenny Atkinson or under Kenny Atkinson his whole career. So he's never really had the opportunity to do that. But, yeah, I mean, when, when the guard depth takes this kind of a hit, it forces you to play guys who would normally be unplayable. Um, yeah, I think Dinwiddie's yeah. going to start getting those superstar calls if he keeps this up. So he's not going to be in foul trouble as much. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, yeah, the first half. So it's kind of categorized by the Nets. Like, oh just, God, not the first half. Well, no, that's what that's what we're talking about. Is uh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it was, can I just comment like, the first four minutes of the game. Yeah, Rondé House Jefferson played probably worked out. Ever. Like his pad was nowhere nowhere close, taking terrible shots. He had one play where he got the rebound. It was uh, like a four on three for the Nets. And he thought it was best to dribble all the way down the court and just go one-on-one against Draymond Green as opposed to, like, kicking it out and kind of getting the proper spacing so the Nets could get an open shot. And it resulted in, I think, Draymond blocking a shot and then Rondé was um, pulled from the game immediately after because he must have cost the Nets at least, like, six to eight points just with his play in the early going. It was terrible. Mm. Yeah, it, it didn't seem like anyone had it going offensively early. And then defensively, I thought they were... They were pretty atrocious, and it could have been like a lot worse in that first quarter because the Warriors missed at, at least four layups. There might have been some that I didn't remember. And the Nets, like it was, it was kind of obvious that the Warriors had like read the scouting report on the Nets, and this was, I think, a bigger issue earlier in the season. But it's almost like the Nets got uh, too comfortable again. The Warriors were just back cutting them to death, and they'll do that against every team, as uh, Jim Spadarkle like smartly pointed out you're always going to be leaning out on them and your momentum is always going to be facing forward when, when you're guarding them just because you're so worried about them launching a shot in your face. And, and they use that against you so brilliantly. Clay Thompson, I never really remember him moving off the ball, or at least going towards the basket this well. And that, that's clearly something that he's really sharpened and improved on. And it, it just seemed like the Nets didn't really have a chance and they can get those back cuts anytime they wanted to. And if it weren't for a few errant passes and a few missed layups, the Warriors could have been up by a lot more than 12 at the end of the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And then it's also a credit to the Warriors. I mean, they're one of the best teams of all time. So uh, there's a reason they're this good because they have uh, big men that can play at the high post and deliver those passes to cutters um, on those back doors and really make sure that they are hit in stride for layups and dunks. So it really goes both ways that you need guys that know how to cut and are instinctive in that sense, but also people that 
can deliver an accurate pass. Um, the Nets don't really have either right now, do no. they? No. Have one or the other? Eh, maybe maybe Dinway. <laughs> um, yeah, and we we got to talk about the guy. Joe Josh. Harris is a good cutter. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's solid. He's smart. And uh, Crab seems to be maybe taking a little bit of a page out of his book and refining that a little bit, though we'd, we'd like to see more than one uh, per game before we, uh, before we crown him. Uh, we got to talk about Steph Curry. Uh, 33 minutes, was in foul trouble a lot of the night, so that limited how much he played, but finished with 39 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists, and uh, I believe it was uh, it was Ruko and Spinarkle talking about it on the broadcast how he's in better shape than at any point in his career, and, and you could just see it. Even though um, the early season stats haven't been quite up to the level he's set over the last three seasons, he's just in total control of his game at this point. He knows exactly what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and, and he can execute, especially against a team like the Nets. He can get anywhere on the floor he wants. He can get any shot he wants. And it's not all the three-point shooting. He was 4 for 10 from behind the arc, but a lot of it is leveraging that shot and just exploding to the basket, creating shots for his teammates. He he, he looked like, I, I mean, you can't ever say the best player in the world when LeBron's still going, but I, I think he might be getting forgotten a little bit when, when you have all these best player uh, discussions and people talk about Russ ahead of him, people talk about Harden, maybe deservedly so, ahead of him, people talk about Giannis ahead of him. Steph is still right there with any of those guys. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, I mean, there's a disconnect for me with Steph Curry being in the best shape of his life, and his wife having a her own cooking show on the Food Network. And I'm looking at the Aisha's Home Kitchen <laughs> now. The recipes yeah. I see mac and cheese. I see uh, sausage stuffed mushrooms, um, creamed cornbread with jalapeno butter. Get, come on, give me a break. Steph Curry's not eating this stuff. There's, you know what? I think there's some uh, some fraud going on here with Aisha's no, home. No, no, I think that, yeah, they strip they strip all the fun out of those recipes. Yes, yeah. just Food Network. It. If you want to sponsor us, uh, holler at us. Oh wow, that was that was a good opportunity for a transition. Speaking of sponsors, we're doing our first advertisement for my bookie holiday cash. You need it, and I know where to get it. My bookie is the place to score some serious cash on your sports predictions. Believe it or not, the holidays they are just around the corner, and while that means Plenty of parties, gifts, and spending. It also means there's lots of football, basketball, and hockey games you can score big on every single game. Seriously, 14 games on the NBA docket tomorrow, uh, three big-time football games on Thanksgiving. So why don't you man up and play like the pros on game day? You can play the money line, side, or total. My bookie is your hook for all your betting needs and offers super-fast payouts when you win. Now, I'm not a big gambler, so I don't know if I can... Personally recommend my bookie. Josh, you are super into it. Uh, how appealing does this sound to you? Okay, well, I wouldn't say super into it. I don't want to give An our listeners the wrong impression of me. It is literally all he does. He watches Nets basketball. He puts down some money. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll go with it for the sake of this. Uh, no, my bookie is a great resource for anyone that likes to wager a little bit on the games, and I highly recommend any of our listeners who are interested in that and checking out that space, and they're a great company. All right, so now let me let me give you let me give you the money point here. This is how you can really make some money using the Locked On Podcast Network with my bookie. Um, they have odds on every matchup and a mobile site that makes wagering on your smartphone super super easy. So you can join right now, and my bookie will match your deposit with up to a fifty percent bonus. All you have to do is use promo code Locked On NBA to activate the offer. That's promo code. Locked on NBA. 
Uh, speaking of gambling, uh, the Nets in the second half, they played with a lot more aggression, a lot more focus, and I'll, I'll even throw it out there, a lot more reckless abandon. They were getting to the free throw line basically at will, shooting 39 free throws for the game. If they had just hit a few more, they only made 27, uh, 69%. Nice. Uh, they would have been uh, right in this game. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. I know, it was um, yeah, a very no, tonus move. Free, free throw shooting has been... A- a huge bugaboo for this team um, for most of this year. I guess like, Ronda House Jefferson's really improved his free throw shooting, and he gets to the line a lot, which has been helpful. But even like Karis LeVert's been struggling at the line. Um, D'Angelo Russell was only at 70%. He definitely should be around 80% given his caliber as a shooter. Um, so you hope that normalizes as we get farther along into this year. Um, there are a couple plays where Dimwitty, who got to the line 13 times, um, could have had an easy and one opportunity, just couldn't finish this time. But it's good to see him blowing by people and even getting to the line that much. And he's really impressed me with his burst to the basket, even though he didn't have the most efficient shooting night from the field. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of, to me, the mark of a star player. And again, like maybe we're lofting too much praise on Spencer Dinwiddie too early, but he is playing at the very least in that role for the Brooklyn Nets right now. And I think showing off some star qualities. It, the, the big thing is when your shot's not falling, can you make up for it. And he did that in abundance tonight. As we said, despite being in foul trouble, missing almost the entire first half, is able to get 13 free throws against, um, I I don't know if they're ranked as the best defensive team in the NBA right now, but based off of the last couple seasons, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. The best defensive team in the NBA goes 11 to 13 from the charity strike, eight assists. And we mentioned that could have been more Quincy AC missing that big three at the end of the game off of Dinwiddie pass. And there were a couple other times where his guys just kind of let him down, but it seems like he can create every single play. And and the big thing I noticed, and this is such a huge portion of the Nets offense now, and I'm wondering how sustainable it is, but it's working really, really well. The Nets are really good at getting big guys to switch onto Dinwiddie, and that's that's done by setting really good screens. And then I would bet, and I'm sure there's a stat for this somewhere on NBA.com, but if if you looked at points off switches, I I, I guess uh, Dinwiddie would be one of the best in the NBA in that category. Yeah, I one thing I like about Dinwiddie is that when he's switched on to a big guy and he wants to take him to the hole, there's not a ton of setup or um, extraneous movement. It's kind of just, I have the ball, I'm just going to blow by you, um, go as quick as possible. And I think that's something that guys like Karis LeVert and Alan Crabb can kind of take note of and learn to input that into their game. Because it seems like often when they have a switch on to uh, a bigger player guarding them, they'll be more passive and look to kind of find the... Um, find where they're the original man that was guarding them, the guard who they're on now. So like, let's say they'll pass it to Quincy AC in the post, but that's not really Quincy AC's game. So I think they need to do uh, a more proactive job of exploiting their own mismatches. And side note, I looked warriors are sixth in the de- in defensive efficiency right now. And the Lakers are somehow fourth. Do we that's, have any explanation for that? No, that's, that's really weird. Especially because like, we always talk about how like when you play young guys, you're not going to have a really good defense. And they have Kuzma, Ingram, and Lonzo all as essential parts of that rotation. So I, I don't really have a good explanation for that. Maybe our boy uh, Brookie Monster has made made the leap on the defensive end. <laughs> I mean, he didn't really. He was always an underrated defender, in my opinion. But um, listen, uh, whatever he's doing there, and whatever Luke Walton's uh, inputting his team, and whatever Lavar is <laughs> telling them from the shadows is clearly working. <laughs> 
<laughs> just see like Lavar like in the yeah, tunnel. Is he skyping in from from China? Was he skyping in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now he's just in like the tunnel of every game, screaming, "Run, run!" Uh, I love Lavar. Oh, God, I, I kind of hate him, but I also I love no, him. I love him. He's great for the game. Yeah, he's... Next play the thirtieth ranked defense, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, on Wednesday. We will be watching the game together. Um, and are we going to sweep the Cavs, Gavin? What do you think? Uh, I guess not sweep because we play them more than twice. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not. Are we going to continue the chance of sweeping them for the year? I, I don't know. They're kind of getting it together, didn't they? They kind of kicked uh, the Pistons' ass the other night. So um, I, 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 I'd go. I predict the Cavs win, but I'll just say this: they can do what they did in the second half against the Warriors over four quarters, and that's. That's highly contingent on Spencer Dinwiddie playing more than 31 minutes, which, I mean, uh, you can argue, I, I don't know how willing uh, Kenny Atkinson is to do that. Um, then they'll have... I mean, he might not need to after the next blowout. And he's going to look like uh, Pistol Pete Maravich compared to to Reggie Jackson, who the Cavs just faced. Yeah, that's true. That, that's a big leap. Uh, shots at uh, Dinwiddie's former team there. Maybe, maybe they should have kept him. Uh, anyways, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie playing extremely well against the Warriors. We'll get a little bit more to that Cavs game, but I wanted to, I wanted to quickly go over uh, Karis LeVert and Jared Allen because they're two guys who stood out to me a little bit. Karis, I guess, like less so, be 22 minutes, 5 of 11 from the field, uh, 2 of 4 from 3. Uh, slowly but surely, that three-point shot starting to maybe stabilize a little bit. Like I'll say that, and maybe he'll miss his next 18, but for now, it looks okay. And, and one of my favorite plays of the game, and this was the second game in a row where he did this, is... You could see Levert, and, and I think this is something Kenny has clearly emphasized to him in light of uh, D'Lo's injury, but he is he's trying to draw contact at the basket. He's going, and he's looking to jump right into someone at the rim, and I guess sometimes you won't get that those calls, but he really sells it because it's kind of just like a natural shoulder into the guy, creates some separation, and he's so good at putting it in. I, I, think, I think actually when he jumps into guys, he has a – better chance of making the layup because sometimes he's a little bit out of control that kind of forces him to focus and you can see he knows at that angle how to just kind of loop it over his head off the glass and in so that play stood out to me and I want to continue to see more of that from him yeah I don't really have anything else to add on that um he does a good job as you mentioned of kind of hanging in the air for that extra split second which allows him to stabilize and uh make it an easier layup when he's around the rim but I still have a lot of questions about his finishing ability and overall fit with the team going forward because I think that he needs to find ways to add more value besides his scoring because I don't know if that's ever going to become um, like an efficient frontier for him. Um, but yeah. we'll see as it, as he gets more reps, uh, especially as one of the top creators now. And um, I think he can has the potential to grow his game because he is a smart guy and it seems like he works hard. And he's battled injuries early on in his career. But it's just something to keep an eye out going forward. Um, as far as Jared Allen goes, it was nice to see him uh, be productive he had one great block where he just stuffed Kayvon Looney um, around the rim and then had some nice finishes, showed some good pick-and-roll chemistry with Spencer Dinwiddie. So that's good to see moving forward because he's a guy that the Nets really have a lot of um, equity in. And if Trevor Booker can't play tomorrow uh, against the Cavs because he left after the first half with his sprained ankle, then Al- Allen's going to really take in uh, a big role. Because Tyler Zeller, uh, I don't think he's that bad, but it seems like He's in and out um, of favor with Atkinson, and Mozgov is obviously uh, in the doghouse right now. Yeah, I like I like the use of the finance word equity. That was that was good. Uh, Jared Allen, yeah, Thanks, twelve bro. minutes, three or four from the field. Uh, yeah, and he, he was he was really good, and you could even see um, defensively there was 
one play on a Steph Curry pick and roll where he's forced to switch on to Steph, and Steph made this quick. Yeah, he home with him. Oh my god, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah, there was that one, and there, I'm thinking of a different one actually, where Steph like slipped a pass to uh, Kayvon Moody, and Allen's recovery time, he didn't end up blocking the shot, but it was so so good. Like he he got from the elbow down into the lane in a second, and and you could just see how absurdly long his arms are because he he came within just about a second of blocking it in. One, one of my big takeaways, and I think. Maybe part of this is like some of the Nets guards have lost faith in him and his ability to just catch the basketball. But there were a lot of times where he was open on lobs. And I think you see this a lot in the NBA where bigs will set a pick and roll hard and they'll have an edge if, if they just um, get a good pass. And, and the Nets just kept missing him. And I, I think of a combination like uh, getting to watch the uh, Rockets the other night when they were playing the Suns. Like you look at James Harden and Clint Capella. That, that's why Capella's sixth in the NBA and PER and Harden gets so many assists a night. He's willing to try like slightly more difficult lobs than other guys are. And obviously those lanes are a lot more open when you're James Harden and every single guy on defense is looking at you. But I, I think this is kind of a general NBA take. I think guards should be kind of more opportunistic in looking to throw uh, the ball up to their big guys. And especially when you have a threat like Jared Allen who can uh, – he's, he's not a great leaper, but he's a good leaper. And again, just – ridiculous wingspan so he, he can go and get it yeah i think that <laughs> it's it's gonna it's a partnership um as you mentioned and as the guards get more familiar with each other i think that's gonna increase there's been so much turnover this year um with obviously all the point guards going down and even the center rotation flux um you don't really know how much how many reps guys are getting with one another um, but it is really nice to have an athletic center um obviously Nets have had a lot of plotting guys with, between Lopez and now Mozgov and Zeller. Um, and then the athletic, quicker guys they do have, like Booker, are 6'8". So it's nice to have a combination of both. Um, and I think that we're going to see some highlights out of Allen. In the coming games, um, he needs to put together some more consistency, but I think he does have the raw tools that are there. Um, so that's exciting as a Nets fan to see um, one, another potential uh, player down the road who can, who can become a starter, hopefully, uh, if things kind of break right and Kenny Atkinson can prove that he is uh, an excellent development coach that we all believe he is. All right. And if you haven't had the opportunity yet, I really want to encourage you to uh, leave a review on iTunes for Locked on Nets. You can say terrible, terrible things about us. You can say Josh is too handsome and in too good shape. You can say uh, I know too much about basketball and I'm too funny. You can say horrible things like that. And more. Uh, just make sure to give us five stars. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't even really matter if you like the podcast. As long as you give us five stars, we are all good. All right. So, Josh, let's get in to that Cleveland Cavaliers preview. Uh, you kind of uh, you kind of uh, dipped a toe in with me earlier. I, I didn't have a ton of thoughts on it, other than I'm generally uh, not super confident because I think the Cavs, or at least this version of them, pre Isaiah Thomas, are kind of hitting their stride. Uh, wh- what do you think about this game? I mean, obviously, when you're going up against LeBron James, it's going to be an uphill. Ba- it's going to be an uphill battle. Um, it seems like Jay Crowder and Kevin Love are starting to get more consistency. I noticed that Calderon started yesterday against the Pistons, and if that's the case, Dame Whitty should be able to cook him, um, and that could be a huge advantage for the Nets. But I think that I think Nets aren't really prepared to guard the stretch bigs of the Cavs, and if Channing Frye and Kevin Love are hitting from outside, it's going to be a difficult matchup. Um, obviously. Nets killer Dwayne Wade is um, is on the Cavs bench, and he's an important part of their team. But I'm, I think that against the Cavs' terrible defense, the Nets should be able to get 
open looks and whether they hit them and have a, a hot shooting night from three is another story. But if you can see the process and Kenny Atkinson's system work, I think that's going to be um, an encouraging sign regardless of the outcome. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I, I really do think they played with genuinely good effort on the defensive end against the Warriors and Steph was just, he, he was toasting them, but he, he's going to toast everyone, especially when you don't have much of a guard rotation. He's going to absolutely destroy you. But I, I think on everyone else, they forced really tough shots. Obviously, Draymond Green, uh, I mean, he missed some open threes, but he went one for eight from the field. And, and they were they were challenging the Warriors every step of the way. If they can bring that same effort against a Cavs team that even, even the Warriors without Kevin Durant, I think, are pretty clearly the more dangerous offensive team, um, I think they have a pretty good shot. And I, I guess the way I would approach it is you got to – kind of, I mean, this sounds counterintuitive, but like force LeBron to beat you by scoring a lot, which he's, he's obviously more than capable of doing already has a 50-point game this year, but I don't think he's going to quite want to expand that type of effort against the Nets. And if you stay on shooters, and again, this is easier said than done because you don't want to give up open dunks, but if you stay on shooters and, and you close really, really hard, um, you can maybe disrupt Cleveland a little bit. And again, I don't think LeBron, this is going to be the type of game where LeBron wants to go for 40, so make him into a scorer, and then uh, take your best shot on the other guys uh, trying to beat you. Yeah, I think, like, obviously, in theory, the Nets have two guys that can do a decent job of kind of matching up with LeBron, and that's in Damari Carroll and RHJ. Um, there's no one that's really going to be able to stop him, um, and I guess two isn't really that many when you consider teams like the Celtics that have a bunch of guys that can switch, but hopefully those guys can take turns um, guarding LeBron, at least making him work for his points and they can take advantage of him on the defensive end, hopefully get him in some foul trouble, because without him, the Cavs will be lost. All right, uh, we are approaching uh, the 40-minute mark in this podcast, so we should uh, probably... Oh, you know, no, we're a little bit a little bit less than that. I'm overestimating. That was just me and Josh had a good conversation on the Skype before that, but we're, we're still going pretty long, so I, I think we should uh, wrap yeah, this we, up. I don't want to say tell the people that we talk outside of the podcast. It's oh, solely this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. That's, you said, what did you say? It was embarrassing and that I, I cramped your style and uh, there was some other stuff that is not... Uh, we don't need to get into that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have some... I have some. You know what, Josh? We're going to have a fight after this is over. But for now... Going into my uh, You're grinding my gears. What grinds yours? Okay, so this, this episode's Grind My Gears is taking a little bit of a different note to it. So... Um, I'm on the go a lot. I uh, I have to order stuff in advance. So today I ordered my sweet greens in advance for dinner, which I picked up. Yeah. Um, also order a lot of Starbucks uh, mobile order. And I noticed that they kind of just put your order out there, but anyone can really take it. Like any um, person who has no respect for the boundaries of fellow citizens or maybe like a real rascal troublemaker um, can just kind of go in and grab it. Like what if I was a terrible person and I didn't order uh, coffee? I was like, oh, you know what? I'm craving coffee. I'm just going to go in and grab uh, Gavin's uh, because there's no like real policing system. They don't check you out or anything. So I've always wondered, like, have you think it's ever happened with someone just coming in and grabbing free stuff? And would uh, you do it? Uh, first of all, uh, no, I would not do it. Um, and uh, an upstanding citizen. And um, I'm super afraid of uh, being caught doing anything bad, so I think that would that probably that would honestly probably be the biggest factor. But mm-hmm. um, isn't it isn't it crazy yeah, though yeah, that, that like is, our, we that have so many weird. rules in society, and now it's kind of like this free freestanding um, hope that people just are 
good inherently and just don't take something they're not supposed to have? I don't know, but isn't that like how not not to get too deep on this podcast? Isn't that like how so much of society functions? Because you look at like so many things like with security and like with like how people live day to day. And actually, I do think about this a lot, Josh. So you kind of opened up Pandora's box here. Like so, so much of people just like being safe and like being okay around one another is you're banking on etiquette and you're banking on it. It's almost mutually assured destruction. Like don't be a jerk to me because then I'm going to be a jerk to you. And like at some point it's going to come back to you. Like if everyone in society acted this way, it would be utterly Hammurabi's code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eye for an eye. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I hope by the end of the season, um, someone on the Nets is nicknamed Hammurabi's code, and we're we're gonna have to just like someone who's like a real killer. It could be something for Spencer Dinwiddie, honestly. But that that's besides the point right now. I guess you're kind of operating on that, and obviously there are always gonna be people who want to go outside of those bounds, and that's when you get uh, the real uh, quote unquote criminals of the world. But uh, I, I don't know, Josh. To me, that seems like pretty like far like i would i'd be i'd be pretty comfortable thinking like no one would do that and no one would steal that because people would have to walk into the restaurant with the idea of doing that also um i think something else well, maybe the, wait yeah. was robbie hummel's nickname haburami's haburabi's code I, I don't think so but it should have been in retrospect he, he might have had be, a longer career he so. might he might still play, be playing in I, I can't remember if he's playing in europe or if he's like an assistant coach at purdue or something it's it's one of the two but uh, we'll, we'll look that up uh, after the podcast. But all right, here, here's my, my final point on this. I think the uh, final thing working in your favor of people not stealing it is both at Sweet Greens and at Starbucks. You're presumably getting something like extremely um, customizable. Uh, I can't. That was the wrong word. But you're like you're creating your own. Right, it's tailored to my, to my purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why would someone just like – I mean I guess someone who was like – Starving, I don't know. We're going, we're going too far down. The I get a very like, basic order, though. Okay, I yeah. I, I, my point is, like, it would be like a stretch. Like, can you imagine someone stealing it and then like bringing it back and being like, like, I, I hate uh, sa- the salad dressing you put on it. Right. Is it okay if I do it for a social experiment? Do yeah, I have? The, yeah, I think that's the fine. As long, just, just, just clarify, like, when when you're getting cuffed, that like it was a social experiment and you should be good. <laughs> You'll you'll uh you'll post my bail. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well the good with news with all is, of our podcast money. Yeah, well, that and and we'll have this podcast already recorded, so you'll have like you'll have prior evidence that your intent was good. All right. Uh, after that uh, lengthy conversation about nothing, we will uh, wrap this one up. Uh, Josh, thank you for joining me, as always, and we'll be back uh, tomorrow night, or I guess uh, tomorrow morning, since you'll probably be listening to this Wednesday morning, and you'll listen to the next one Thursday morning. Uh, Peace out for now. We will be back soon.